The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am, all, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. My husband, Mark, and I were at the National Lutheran Choir Gala and Silent Auction. And out of all of the wonderful things to bid on, of which there were many, including things like vacation homestays, cruises, dinner parties, jewelry, there was exactly one item that we had our eyes on and we were determined to win. So we bid and we kept careful watch on it, increasing our bid as often as others outbid us. We wanted to win so desperately. We were so desperate to win that we were willing to keep raising our bid in order to get it. And guess what? We won. Do you want to know what we won? We won four hours of service from a handyman. <laughs> he came to our house on Friday, and I am telling you, it was like Christmas. The outlets that all of the plugs fall out of, the doorknob that was about to fall off, locking us inside of our house, the garbage disposal that makes noise but doesn't work, and the ceiling fan that sounds like it's ready to take off, all of it fixed, repaired or replaced by a guy who knows what we don't, by a guy who knows how things work. Raise your hand if you can relate. And please, please raise your hand so I know we're not alone. Today is Trinity Sunday, and the Gospel reading is from the last chapter of Matthew where Jesus commissions and sends his disciples out to baptize in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In many Bibles, the subtitle for these five verses is the Great Commission, but another suitable subtitle could just as well be How Things Work. Now, given that today is our celebration of the Holy Trinity, you might be thinking, perhaps even hoping, that what we have here in Matthew is an explanation of how the doctrine of the Trinity works. You know, that church teaching that says that God is three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you know, like an egg, shell, yolk, and white, or like water, ice, steam, and liquid, or as Kathy showed, like a pillow, three in one. Unfortunately, no matter what analogy we use, it never really adds up, does it? Because we all know that one 
plus one plus one does not equal one, except they say that it does when we're talking about God. Who doesn't want to know how that works? But this passage from Matthew does not address how the Trinity works. In fact, it will either surprise you or disappoint you, or maybe even both, to know that nowhere in the Bible is the triune God ever explained, which, at the very least, ought to suggest to us that the Trinity is not a truth to be explained or understood so much as it is to be experienced. The Trinity is not an academic exercise to be mastered, but rather an actual experience to be enjoyed. So the Bible doesn't tell us how the Trinity works, but it does tell us how Jesus works. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles and take a look at this passage with me. We're on page 909 in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. I'm going to start reading at verse 16. This is the reading you heard just a moment ago. Page 909, Matthew 28, verse 16. I invite you to take a look and pay attention to the order in which things unfold in this story because that matters. It begins like this. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't it surprising that here, on the mountain, after his death, the resurrected Jesus appears in bodily form before his disciples, and yet, and yet, some doubted. Remember, even the doubt of Thomas, who said that he couldn't, he wouldn't believe until he could both see and touch, even his doubt was alleviated once Jesus appeared to him. But not so here. The resurrected Lord and Savior is standing right there with them, and still, still some doubted. Equally surprising is the fact that when the disciples saw Jesus, their very first instinct was to do what? It's right there. Their very first instinct was to worship. Matthew writes, when they saw him, they worshiped him. So now you understand that it was in the context of worship then that some doubted. Which, when you think about it, is probably a fair picture of worship even today. We gather to glorify God, but some doubt. We confess our faith in the triune God, but some doubt. We hear the word of God, but some doubt. We seek forgiveness and at the table a wafer and a sip of wine promise absolution, but some doubt. We lift our petitions for healing and wholeness and reconciliation, but some doubt. We say, amen, it shall be so, but some doubt. It's worth noticing that the disciples 
with a faith burdened by doubt, did not wait until they were free from doubt, nor did they hold back their praise, nor did they refrain from glorifying their God. They worshiped anyway. And so do we, doubts and all. Rarely do we give voice to our doubt for fear of what others might think of us, for fear of what God might think of us. And that's where this reading in Matthew becomes so instructive because, again, it shows us how Jesus works. No doubt, get it? No doubt, Jesus was well aware of the disciples' doubts. And yet, and here's the wonderful truth, and yet he commissions them anyway. With the words of the Great Commission, Jesus sends his disciples, doubts and all, out into the world to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See how he doesn't wait for them to be full of faith. See how he doesn't wait for them to be free from doubt. Jesus doesn't wait because a perfect faith is not and never will be a requirement to follow the Lord. Jesus takes us just as we are, and he works through us to accomplish his purposes in this world. Jesus uses us just as we are to redeem and reconcile and restore this broken world. And Jesus sends us, doubts and all, out into the world to go, make disciples, baptize teach. In other words, Jesus doesn't let our doubts come between us and him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, for I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to that, we can add, not even our doubt, not even our doubt can separate us from God. Which brings us to the last words in Matthew's Gospel. These are the final words Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, and remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Notice this promise of ongoing presence is given to all of the disciples who were with him on that mountain, including the ones who doubted, including especially them. And this ongoing promise of presence is given to us to us who wrestle with God and how God works, to us who cannot explain or understand or reason our way through the nature of a triune God, to us who have doubt. The promise of ongoing presence is given so that we might experience every single day of our lives, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and so that we will know with certainty that even our doubt cannot come between us and God and that when it comes to the Trinity, even though one plus one plus one never equals one, one 
times one times one always does. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.